first thing that I want to go ahead and say is really just a word of warning. Um, a word of warning, especially for those that, might have, that have been here over the last two or three or four weeks, really through our series in First John, because a lot of what I'm going to say this morning, to be completely honest, has already been said. Um, John has already made various um, teachings. He's already said a lot about what it means to love one another, what it, what it means to be loved by God, what it means to be together as the children of God, being loved by God, and that we can know love because of God. And he's really just hammering that home again. And I remember as I first started to prepare this week, the first time I kind of went through it, I, I looked at Brenda and I said, I don't know what I'm going to say this week that's not already been said. And I want to encourage you to guard yourself against that mindset that, that I was tempted to first go down and say, like, what else could John have to say to us? Because I think it's easy to get into an eye roll kind of mindset with, like, okay, you've already said this. But John is hammering this home again. And I think it would, <laughs> that's not without reason. That's not without purpose. Because I think it's something that we as the church need to, 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 to get, to understand where our identity is, where our hope is, and what we can ever hope to be known for. And that, that's kind of what I want to get at this morning is, the question I want to ask is, what are we as the church, what are we known for? There are churches across this globe that are known for various things. Uh, there's churches that are known for their buildings. There's churches that are known for their music. There's churches that are known for their specific kids' ministry or their college ministry. There's churches that are known for a lot of different things. There's churches that are known for their pastors. I think we've done a decent job at not being cool enough so that we never find our identity in us as pastors. But like, we can find our identity in all sorts of different things. But I think as we see, we're going to see here, what we should seek to be known for is our love. But it's not just our love. It's the love that we know because of God. It's the love that's been revealed in Jesus. But then it's also that, say, that, that love from God that we display amongst ourselves and to the world. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. We're going to finish the chapter. It's a lot more verses than I normally tackle on one Sunday morning. But I'm just going to go ahead and read through them and then we'll um, go back to the beginning. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son to the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love, believe the love that God has for us. God is love, 
And whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in, the, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the, the first like real, I guess, points that I want to get across today are two of the same two points that I, it was two weeks ago, I think now, three weeks maybe. Um, the same thing is, is what is the basis for the, the love that we keep talking about? The love that we love one another with, the love that we are to display to the world. What is that love? And we see in verses seven and eight, right off the bat, that this love only comes from God. Verse Seven, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Eight, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So any sort of genuine love that we are to display, any type of genuine love whatsoever, is going to have its roots in God. And I... It's easy to run with that and say, wait, are you saying that unsaved people, people without the Holy Spirit in them, are you saying that they cannot exhibit love or feel love? That, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that for us to, to fully ever understand genuine, true love or ever love other people, to love a spouse, to love one another, to love those outside of the church, for us to genuinely love, that is only going to come from God. And in verse 8, it says, God is love. And I, I think I often struggle to understand what it means for God to be love. It says, God is love. It doesn't just say, God is loving, or loving us is something that God does. Those are both true. But what does it mean for God to be love? And I, I don't think we have a great human equivalent of this, or like equivalent in words, because I can say a lot of things about myself that are true at the moment, but are not going to be true going forward. I mean, right now, I am warm. Usually, every Sunday morning, I am warm standing up here. But it wouldn't take much for me to be cold. I can say that I am happy. But that is going to change as soon as I stub my toe or as soon as I do something dumb. That can change so quickly. This is God is Love. It's saying that is something that he exhibits all of the time. That there's never a time when God is not loving, that he is not love. And if you remember back, it's probably been, oh man, four months ago now in our series when we went through about what we believe. We talked about, Tanner talked about all the different characteristics of God, the, the different um, the, the nature of God, that, all, that he is all these things at one time, that at the same time God is holy, God is loving, God is just, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is wrathful, God is holy, that he, he's never, he doesn't switch back and forth between those different things, that he is all of those at one time. And so we say God is love, 
It is part of his nature. It is who he is, that all that he does is loving. But I, I think it's hard to wrap our minds around. It's not just that God acts loving sometimes. We cannot, I cannot say of myself that I am love because that is not who I am. But God says, God is, or John says of God, God is love. I found this example helpful. It's a, it's a quote from John Piper. He says, Love is from God the way heat is from fire, or the way that light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature, it's woven into what he is. The sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat. Because it is heat. So God is, he, he loves because he is love. That there's never a time when he's not. And I, I think that we have to understand this basis, this background, this foundation of that love is from God before we can ever move forward in that. And that our role as the church, our role as followers of Jesus is to be like him in the way that we love. Never perfectly, never are we going to be able to say, we are love, but we are called to love in this way. Think of someone that you respect or that you, in a good way, idolize. Someone who you would, would like to be like. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a professor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's any number of people. Maybe it's just a, a really good friend or someone you respect. Think of that person. Have you ever found yourself acting like them or trying to say things the way they would say things or respond to people the way they respond to people? Maybe even say some of the same phrases. We, those that, that we respect, those that we see and we want to model, like we, we're going to act like them. And we've spent some time through 1 John saying that we are the children of God, that, that through Christ we've been adopted into his family. That he is good, good father. And our, our, our love, the way that we love should be modeled after his love. But it's not a love that's just in word. It's not, a, it's not a love that just says, I love you. That it was, the love of God is, it's the action. If you remember if we, the DC talk, love is a verb. Love is a verb. It's not something that we just say. It's something that we do. It's something that we act upon. And that God acted upon his love in Christ. That in Jesus we see the love of God in physical form. We see him act upon his love. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
In Jesus, the love of God was made manifest. Was made manifest. I, I typed in manifest in Google, and here's what it said. Google's always right. So, to become clear or obvious. To display or show a quality or feeling. Or to demonstrate was made manifest. In Christ, the love of God was displayed, was demonstrated, it was acted upon. He proved his love for his children. Not because he had to, but he proved his love for his children. So that we might live through him. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We talked in the last probably six months, at least I say we, I have talked a lot about Ephesians 2 from up here. A lot about Ephesians 2, but I think that it's easy to forget the, the grave state that we were in without Jesus. That if God had not displayed his love in Christ, that if Christ had not come, we weren't just struggling along, asking for help, not being able to find it, but then there was Jesus. It's not that we were just needing a little assistance. But Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses, that we were without hope. But Christ came to give us life, and that was God's love being displayed in action, not just in word, but in action. And I think that when we talk about love, whether it's love for one another in the church, whether it's love for those outside the church, we can't just talk about love in word, but it's love in action. It's, it's something we do. It comes from an understanding of what love is, that, that God is love, that true love is going to come from him. But it's love that acts. I want you to think through a scenario with me just a little bit. We need to look out the road to describe this, maybe. Bear with me on this very incomplete example. Say you and I, are parked, or we park across the road at Napa. Before Napa started opening on Sundays, we could park over there. So we go over there and we park at Napa. You and I, just the two of us, walk across the street over to the building. You fall down and you break your leg. For the sake of the example, it's got to be you, not me. Sorry. Um, you fall down and you break your leg in the middle of the street. You can't get up. You are helpless in the middle of the street. Broken leg. I'm doing okay. I'm, I surprisingly did not fall. I, come, I continue to walk across the street. Come over here to the sidewalk. There's a semi-truck coming down the, the road. Driver not paying attention. He's just hurtling down the road. And I, on the sidewalk, bend over to you in the middle of the road and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Do you believe me? Do you believe me that I love you when I could easily walk over and pull you off the street? Do you believe me if I say my, I love you in word but don't act upon it? No. This is not a theological example. 
please hear me. It's not a theological example. It's an example of loving and action. God did not just say, I love you. But in Christ, he acted upon that love. In Christ, he saved his children. But here's where that example was very, very incomplete. Because I think that sometimes we think that we were laying in the middle of the road, begging for help. That we were like, I need someone to save me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Like, I don't think that's the picture we see. It says we were dead. We were hopeless. We had already been hit by the semi. In our sin, we were without hope. Like, when Jesus came, that we might live. Because we were dead. But God, in his love, love that acted, he sent his son so that we might live through him. Because I think when we, it's, it's easy to think that, man, when Jesus saved me, I was just, I was doing pretty well. I was, I just, I just needed that little bit of help from him to pull me across the road. I, I've been reading through, just in my, in my own time, reading through Exodus. And it just stuck out so much over the last like, week or two, being in Exodus, of how ignorant and how stubborn and how ridiculous the people of God were. I mean, they day one out of Egypt, and they were like, we want to go back because we're thirsty. Moses leaves for a couple days, and they're making another god. They get hungry, and they start complaining and say, we want to go back. But yet, God, in his love, provided food, even though they were grumbling and being ridiculous. Provided water. Provided his presence. And that's not because they were wanting it. They were continuing to... I'm going to use ridiculous because that's, I don't know of any other word. I probably shouldn't say dumb. But they were just being ridiculous. But yet God still provided for them. Brought them along into the promised land. Not because they were great people. He often called them stiff-necked. They were ridiculous. When I keep saying that. But yet God still displayed his love for them. He says in verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son into the world. Like God in his action, in his love, didn't, it was not based on us. It was not based on what we could do. It was not based on anything, but it was based on his loving us. You remember two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I mentioned that our security, our assurance and salvation is not based on us. It's not based on how tightly we could ever hold on to Jesus. But it's based on how tightly Jesus is holding on to us. Him saying in, in, in John 10, no one can pluck you out of my hand. You are mine. I'm not losing anyone. Like our security is not based on how well we obey. It's not based on how great of a friend we are, how great of a parent we are, how great of anything that we are, but it's based on Jesus. Our confidence must be in Jesus. Our, our faith is in Jesus. Our assurance is in Jesus. Not in any good act that we could do. 
Like, if you, do you ever struggle to feel loved, to feel wanted, to feel desired, to feel valued, to feel like anybody would want you? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus. Look what he did. Like, do you want to feel loved? Look what Jesus did. Like, there was no greater act of love than what Christ did. Like, he took what you deserved so that you might live. He took your punishment so that you might live. Like, I'm going to fail you. Other people are going to fail you. We're going to fail to love you well. We're going to let you down. Your parents are going to let you down. Your teachers are going to let you down. That person I mentioned that you look, you look up to earlier, they're going to let you down. To know your value, to know your worth, to know you are loved, look at the cross. Look what Jesus has done. Look, it down, look down at verse 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Like that, that perf- perfect love that's being talked about there is not our love. It's not how we love one another. That perfect love that has saved us, that perfect love that God loves us with, that perfect love that makes us secure when we think of judgment, that perfect love displayed in Christ, that is the love from God. That is not our love. I've heard that used in weddings and in different scenarios of like the perfect, the perfected love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. The only perfect love is from God. If you're expecting that from someone else, you're setting yourself and them up to fail. But God is going to perfectly love you. And the way that we've been loved is in Christ, that he came and sacrificed his life in loving us. That's something that, I keep getting my weeks mixed up. I think it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So because of that love, we then can sacrificially love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That our love for one another is, that, is modeled after that same type of love that sets down our own preferences, that sets down our own Desires that sets down our own things and sacrificially loves. But if we understand the love of God, if we understand the love of God as displayed in Christ, then we will understand that the the way we display love shows how much we are loved. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And initially, I think, for me at least, it feels strange to think of anything of God being perfected in us. Like, that just, to me, like, it's like, wait, what, what do you mean that something of God could be perfected in a sinner like me? No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So I, I, I don't think he's saying that love is perfected in quality. It's not, it's not perfected in quantity. But it's in that the love of God is displayed through us. It's the love of God is displayed through his children. I think this might help explain just a little bit better. It says, The unseen God, the unseen God reveals himself through the visible love of believers. The love that originated in God and was manifested in his son is now demonstrated in his people. I'm not saying that the church loving well is the only way that people can experience the love of God. God has done that through the history of the, the world. He's revealed himself and his love for people in tons of different ways. I mean, read through the Old Testament. There's a lot of different ways, even the New Testament. But I think one of the biggest ways that those outside of the church experience the love of God is through the church. It's through his, the children of God. First Corinthians chapter 13 is often called the love chapter. Um, uh, Paul talks a lot about love in that. The second, the second part of that chapter is used also in a lot of weddings. I'm going to read the first three verses of First Corinthians 13. I th- okay, I, I wasn't sure if I put it in there. Listen to these, these words. He says, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We as the church... We can do a lot of things well. But if we don't love, what good is it? We can do a lot of things right as the church. But if we aren't displaying the love of God as displayed in Christ that we've been saved by, that that kind of love, if we're not displaying that, if we're not loving, what good is all the rest? We, right now, Tanner mentioned this last week, that 
I think, I, I truly believe this. I think that it's a really important time in the life of CRC. There's just a lot going on, a lot of conversations happening, a lot that I just feel like, I feel like God is up to something. And I don't know what it is. If I did, I would tell you. But like, we're really just praying that God would continue to lead us along, that God would, would show us what it is that that is. Like, what is that vision going forward for this church, this specific body of Christ? But we can have the best mission statement. We can have the best vision. We can have the best anything. But if we are not loving well, then we're missing it. Then we're failing. If we are not loving well, then we're failing. I read some research this week um, about what, what people see the church as being known for. What people, ex- people outside the church, I think that we are not the ones that can accurately diagnose this. I think that we get jaded and, we, and, and we get, we're blinded to our own error. And as I read this, I want to go ahead and say that those people outside the church are always going to have misconceptions and not going to fully understand who we are, what we're about, why we do what we do. There's always going to be that. Last week we saw those of the world are from the those from the world believe the world, they trust the world. They're not going to fully understand. But I also think that this is revealing. This is recent research done by Gabe Lyons and David Kinneman. Um, it reveals that we are often seen by the lost as hyper-political, out of touch, pushy in our beliefs, and arrogant. In particular, viewed by young Americans who do not attend church as anti-homosexual, 91% of people said that, 87% of them said we're judgmental, 85% said we're hypercritical, and 70% said that we are insensitive to others. And again, and I, and I really do believe this, I think that to some degree, people are always going to have a misconception because they don't understand. But I do think that there is truth in that. I think there's truth in that. And what are we, talk, I'm, and saying we, I'm talking about you individually, and I'm talking about us as a, as, a, as a church. What are we known for? What do we hope to be known for? Like, what do we hope that someone who walks in this door for the first time, that they feel? Or that if we walked around our neighborhoods and said, what, what, is that church down over, what is that church over there known for? Would they say love? Would they know us at all? What would they say? And again, our, our job is not to try to impress people. Our job is not to try to look good for the sake of looking good, to make people say a certain answer when asked that question. But our role as the church is to be displaying the love of God that God displayed in Christ in saving us. And in verse 20, it says that if we aren't loving our brothers, then how can we say that we love God? 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We've talked a lot in 1 John about that, talking about within the church, our love for one another. Talking about when it says brothers, talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And I am not trying to get away from that at all. Because I think that is really, really true. That, that when John is talking about this, his first and foremost reason for saying that, he's talking about love for one another within the church. But that same type of love is the love that we display to the world. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that this is easy. Because it's not. It's not at all. Loving unloving people is really hard. Loving people that are hard to love is really, really hard. But verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Salvation, think about verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Gary Burge wrote one of the commentaries that I read this week, and he says this. He said, Loving someone who is unlovely brings into focus the power of God's choice to love us in our unloveliness. Loving other people who are hard to love is displaying the love of God that he showed us in loving us in our unloveliness. We love because God loved us and he showed that in action. He showed that in deed. He showed that in Christ. And listen, this is not something that we can do by ourselves. This is not something that we just decide to do tomorrow and then it becomes easy and we do that and it's just what we do. It's a lot harder than that. It's a lot deeper than that. But we're also, it's not something that we do alone. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Like you see the entire Trinity within these three verses. Like, in, in, in commanding us to love one another, to display the love of God, God didn't just say, all right, now go and do it. You're on your own. So, he has given us his spirit. Even in the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples. Jesus says, and I will be with you always. Like, we are so desperate so needy, so in need of God to work in us, to work in us and give us this type of love. But God has given us a spirit. We've seen that a couple different times through First John, in talking of assurance and talking of confidence. 
In chapter 3, he said, And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that changes us. That makes us more like Jesus. Listen, often people's first exposure to the good news of the gospel, people's first exposure to the love of God is going to be through the church. The church as a whole, through us as we scatter throughout the weeks. Often people's first exposure to the good news, people's first exposure to the love of God is going to be through you. And as we close, and as we pray here in just a second, what I want to invite you to do with me is to pray for us. First, first, to pray for us. As, As a body, as a church, but as individuals within this body. That we would see, that we would see how much God has loved us. How he did not leave us dead in our sin, but he sent his own son to redeem us, to give us life so that we might live through him. But that understanding that, that he would just grow in us this overwhelming love for one another. An overwhelming love for one another. And that as we love one another, that that would stand out. That people would say, wow, what is that? What is that type of love? That does not look like the world. And then we would be able to say that we love because God loved us first. We love because he loved us first. But then that that love would carry outside of these walls to the neighborhood, to those people we encounter, those people we work with, that we would genuinely love now, I, I want to invite you to pray for us as a church and for you as an individual, for those sitting around you, that we would just cry out to God and say, put that love within us. And that, he would, that his spirit, for those of us that are saying that his spirit would stir in us. That we would trust the spirit that he's given us as we love our brothers and sisters, as we love those outside the church. We're in this together. Let's pray.